This is the Alpaca Podcast for all things alpaca. If you're an owner, a soon-to-be owner, a want-to-be owner, or are just alpaca mad or love the fleece, welcome to the Alpaca Tribe. I'm Steve Hetherington. Hi, Steve here. Thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Find the path and follow it. But what if there is more than one path? The journey people take in entering the world of alpacas can be many and varied, each one with their own set of questions and answers and issues to face. However, there are some principles, and in today's episode we hear from Hannah Williams, who has been keeping alpacas for the last seven or eight years. Having started with three castrated males, she is now managing a breeding herd of 36, Penralt alpacas. In her case, growing up as the fourth generation on a farm on Gower, near Swansea, in South Wales, she had farm and livestock experience. However, as she explains, it is very clear that while some of the skills and knowledge is transferable, alpacas are different from other livestock. As well as selling animals as pets and breeding stock, Hannah has also developed the use of the fleece, and one of her specialities is a crochet kit, which she sells in a variety of places, including agricultural shows that she goes to. Similar to some of our previous guests, Hannah also brings a unique perspective as she offers us some useful approaches and wisdom about how to get involved with keeping alpacas, demonstrating some of the opportunities and possibilities for everyone as they begin their alpaca journey. It all depends what you want to do and where you want to go. Wherever it is, it will be an exciting ride. Here is Hannah. So welcome, thank you very much for joining us today and we both have our backers and it'd be interesting to hear some of your experience and I'd like to start by asking people, when did you meet your first alpaca and how did it make you feel? Right, well I met my first alpaca on a family day trip to the Royal Welsh Showground um, and to the smallholders fair and we were walking down to the animal sheds there when I came across a couple of llamas. So I had a look at them, never seen them before. And, and thought, oh, they look a bit scary, really. And then I moved on, and in the very next pen, there was a, a breeder standing there with these three lovely woolly alpacas. I could say it was love at first sight. I think it probably was, um, because as soon as I saw them, I thought, they look incredibly gentle, and that's something that I perhaps wanted to own. I've been a farmer all my life, born and bred on a sheep and a beef uh, farm, um, so I'm used to animals, but I'd never seen an alpaca and back then, which was, what, I don't know, six or seven years ago, we hadn't seen alpacas on TV in the way that we do now. So it was a totally new animal to me. Didn't know anything about them, what they were, how you could keep them. Um, so it was a total surprise to me that this chap was living, I think, in Gloucester, um, and he had his herd of alpacas. And he was there today just exhibiting them um, and chatting to the, the public, walking through around, you know, um, how he would how he would keep them, what they would do, what you could use the fleece for, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, so I spent probably about half an hour chatting with him around um, the similarities between keeping alpacas and keeping sheep. Um, we already had a small herd of uh, flock, sorry, of sheep at that time, um, and 
we were looking for a means of cutting down an orchard. Um, my dad used to go up and down with a tractor and a topper to keep the grass down. And I thought these alpacas would be a much better lawnmower um, yes. than the tractor. Um, so after our initial chat then, I went away and we, well, I surfed the internet probably for about 12 months, researching alpacas, how to look after them, um, you know, what the costs were, what yeah. they needed, what they needed to be fed, um, any of the medicines and normal husbandry things that sure. you'd need to that, fulfill. That's a good preparation. Well, I'm not sorry I did it. Mm. Um, you know, I thought at the end of the day, they do live a long time. Um, so it's not like buying a, a, you know, a sheep where you could send it off to market. Um, you know, they were going to be probably pets as well as, which it grew into a business for me. But initially mm. it was as a, as a pet, I was thinking of it to cut down this orchard. Um, so eventually I researched, I found a local breeder that I went off and I bought um, three castrated males right. um, as a bit of a trial run um, to see how we could get on with them. So off we went to Cardiff and bought these three boys. Um, we managed to catch them, put them in our trailer, bring them home, etc., um, which was all quite easy and simple. Um, and that's kind of been what I've thought about alpacas ever since, really, that they are quite easy to look after. Um, and they are really delightful to mm. have. Um, they're very relaxing. They've got that soft humming noise, which is really... Mm pretty to listen to <laughs> oh that was me yeah and you know you haven't got a I'm roar. starting to sound like an alpaca yeah exactly yeah. and you know it is quite calming and relaxing and you know you look out and you see what are they doing so when you can see them from your kitchen window oh you ideal know, yeah you do love that part of the the day where you can see them munching along and yeah. i don't know they're just different to any to any other animal yeah because you, you've had experience obviously with the, with the farming so that's both sheep and and cattle yeah um and the alpacas you found there are some things that are similar in terms of the the things you're doing mm. uh, but you've also found them to, to be different yeah absolutely I think you know from day one when I first saw them in that showground you know yes there are similarities between sheep and keeping alpacas you know some of the husbandry tasks you know are very similar um, but there are key differences as well and I think we shouldn't forget that our alpacas are they do have different nutritional needs and we should be trying our best to to meet those as well um, you know sheep I got to run around the field to try and catch them um, alpacas, I open the gate and they follow me through. Yeah. And every day when I have to run around after the sheep, I curse the fact that we've got the sheep and not 20 more alpacas um, <laughs> <laughs> because they would save my legs an awful lot. Yeah. Um, but once you have them, you know, I think the alpacas are very, they're receptive to human interaction. Mm. They like to see us, but they like, they like it on their terms as well. Yeah. Um, and I think as long as you can realise that and appreciate that you sometimes you do need to keep your distance. They don't want to be cuddled. They don't want to be um, caught. Yeah. Um, you know, they want it on their terms, really. And, and at that point, they'll come up to you. They'll eat out of your hand. You know, you can tickle them underneath the chin. And, you know, yeah. some of them like an occasional little bit of a rub on their ear. Well, there you go. Um, yeah. You know, but not all of them do. And no. I think that's where they've got their individual personalities and how you deal with them needs to be different. Mm. Um, you know, I like keeping sheep, yeah. but on the other hand, alpacas are far easier for me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's trying to work out what's normal for an alpaca mm. um, and then also recognising what's normal for this alpaca, this particular alpaca, might be slightly different yeah. to some of the others. Um, but there is a, a general approach that, that works really well. Yeah, and I think, you know, you do need a, a good handling system. Mm. So you do need to have your gates that close and that you can bring them in so that it's not a, 
it's, it shouldn't be a rodeo when you bring it in your alpacas. <laughs> you know, it should be, yes. you know, nice and calm and, you know, they'll follow a bucket. Um, and, and I think, you know, if you can try and make it as easy for them as it is for you, you'll get a good result at the end, but yeah. you can't go shouting and screaming at them and, and they will be... It seems to be counterproductive. It would absolutely Certainly, be. Yeah. And it's not great for the animal. No. So, you know, I guess high welfare is a, is a key area for me. Mm. Um, and, you know, that's the reason why I researched them for so long, so that I wasn't making a wrong choice. I was making the right choice for me and the animals that I was going to buy. Sure, yeah. Um, so we started with three castrated males. Yeah. Um, but it didn't stop there, did it? No, no. Um, so I think it was after about 12 months I'd had the boys and we were finding it really easy to, mm. to manage them. Um, and I decided that I wanted a few more. So I needed to look for the angle for mum and dad to be able to be in agreement with me. Right. So I thought, well, definitely we need to start breeding now. And coming from a farming background, it's, it's in your blood. Mm. Um, so I, again researched, looked for a local breeder, and in this instance I found a local breeder, um, Alan Davis in Pembroke, right. where um, I met him in the Wonderwall Fair again in Bilth, seems right. to be a trend there, doesn't it, yes. <laughs> um, where he had a store selling fleece and things like that, so I chatted okay. to him about whether he had any females for sale, which he did do, um, so he agreed a, a time and date for me to go down and meet them, um, so I helped him bring the alpacas in picked the three out of the flock that he was selling mm. um, that were right for me. We mated them there and then as well. Right. And I guess, you know, Alan could see that I wasn't afraid to be able to handle the alpaca and manoeuvre them. Yeah. So I guess he was having confidence that he was selling on his animals to somebody who knew what to do and how to sure. manoeuvre them. And then after we mated them that day, I left it up to Alan then to double check that they were pregnant with the spit-offs. Yeah. And we arranged a time then for him to come and bring them down to me. We kind of mated them, I think, in probably the May time or, and I think I had them delivered in the September, October time. Right. So, you know, I wasn't in any rush. Yeah. It was about doing it properly, right. making yeah. sure that they were pregnant and, and that it was, it was good for the animal as well as for myself. And obviously, because I had the three castrated males, I could put them all in together. Right. Um, so that made it quite easy for me, so the whole flock could be together Yeah, it is a well. challenge, because, mm. because normally they would be separated, and therefore you need to have enough space, enough land, yeah. if you're going to have both males and females. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and for me, I keep my males separate mm. in our fields about a mile away, so that they don't see them, because I found that... They've got good long-distance vision, so a I, mile is probably sufficient for them not to be able to see. Yeah, they like looking yeah. over hedges, do our they stud do. males, don't yes, they? And they do. I think myself, I'd rather you were eating than looking over yeah. the hedge longingly at this female. Yeah, I've got um, one in particular, he spends his whole day just doing that. Yes, and I think oh, I don't really... Because, I've, because I can do it, yeah. then, you know, that's the system I have. Mm. And so, yeah, I keep my stud males away in one set of fields, and then I keep my females at home. Oh, yeah. And again, they both live with the sheep quite happily, right, right the way throughout the year. Right. And they do compete for the food. So, you know, I've got some feeders that are higher, so the alpacas get their dinner and the sheep can't reach. Right. But they eat quite happily out of the silage uh, yeah. racks, you know, without any problem. In fact, you know, I've got one of my original weathers. We had to do this job on one of our sheep, John mm. Bob. He's a ram, John Bob is, right. and um, he had a bad foot. So me and my partner, Mike will hate me telling you this. So me and my partner, <laughs> we had to, we caught John Bob in the pen, ready to do the job. And of course, Finley, one of the castrated mills was there and he was looking at Mike. I went back to the, the truck to get the injection and the toe clippers that we needed to do the little bit of husbandry on his toe. When I came back, Mike was being attacked by the alpaca. Oh no. Yes. So when you say about alpacas being good flock guards, yeah. John Bob was definitely part of the alpaca Pop, flock. flock. Um, he was being and, protected. And he yeah. was being protected. So whilst I was laughing, 
Mike wasn't. Um, he, he did escape without any injury at all. Yeah. You know, it's a really good example of how mm. you know, alpacas are good flock guards, but they've got to bond with the, the, the flock that they're flock guarding. Of, yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And they, they are quite, uh, I mean, they're not big animals, but they're not small. Oh, no. And they, particularly the males can, can, well, not just the males, but they can be very strong. Yes. Um, generally, they're very biddable, but, but occasionally the, 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 there are circumstances where it's a bit, bit more difficult. So mm. the, having that strategy of how you handle and how you move mm. and getting them familiar with, with being handled is really important to, oh, yes. to, to, to have an understanding yeah. uh, and for them to have an understanding of, of what's expected. I yeah. found that with mine, if they know what's expected, they're much uh, easier to, to manage. Yeah, and I think, you know, once you, you know, we've got a bit of a strategy. When we wean them, we start to try to halter train. Right. So, you know, not everyone is halter trained. It's not really necessary. You know, I've still got one stud male. He hates being on the halter. He just sits down. And I, I, I bought him when he was three-year-old. So, right. you know, me trying to halter train him then, he, he's just not willing. But, you know, I can manage without that. And he's quiet otherwise. So sure. you can manage with the arm around the neck. But I have given up on him. Um, but, 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 but my others are... In terms of halter training. In terms of halter training, yeah, yeah, only that. But my others, you know, are, you know, they walk on the halter very well. And yeah. I think if you start early enough and mm. are considerate enough to them and their feelings, you, yeah. you'll, you'll, you'll get a little bit of way of where you want to go yeah. without making the alpaca too stressed out. You started with a three uh, and then added in some females. What sort of size herd are you? Um, my herd side is I'm probably about 36 at the moment okay. between so it's, it's sales a, and it's other a bit of a handful yeah 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 but I've gradually increased yeah. um, over the years with I bought a few um, another breeder down the road was finishing so I right. bought some of hers and then I have bred I only breed what I need sure so I don't I don't breed every female every year at the end of the day I am looking to probably increase my herd numbers to replace some of my older females as they become past breeding age. So I want to keep a few more coming through, but I don't want to overbreed and put Mm. too much stress on the animal. At the end of the day, I am a breeder and I do sell my my offsprings, but I also sell my fleece and I want a a good balance between quality and quantity of what I do. So yes, my herd size has increased. I like looking out and seeing the different colour combinations and mm. I don't want an all-white herd or an all-black herd. Do you find I it would... changes though? The, you, you've got one thing and then, then the, the crop of career arrive for that yeah. year and it changes the, the look oh. in the field. because there's, there's no there's... rhyme or reason, is there? No, absolutely. <laughs> what yeah. you get is what you get. I've got a couple that are fancy colours, black and white, brown and white. Yeah. Um, I've got a really pretty little boy, Cadbury. He's got a pretty little head and a little right. white bit on his head. Yeah. And the markings are, are really pretty to have and to see. And it's that balance between what what I want in the fleece to yeah. what I want to be able to see when I'm in my field looking out at them yeah. and I want a happy medium I guess I think the brown fleeces are very pretty they've got a really nice colour I was in a show one day last year and the, a gentleman asked me how do you get it that colour <laughs> so how do you how do you how do you dye it that colour I yeah. said I don't dye it this this the comes straight off the animal what uh-huh. that colour uh-huh. yes um, so you know I think there's a purpose and a reason behind everything and you can make it work yeah Excellent, yeah. So you've uh, grown the herd and you've, you've got larger numbers. Yeah. So you've also then got more fleece as you do in the shearing. You, yes. you can end up with, with, with more fleece. And I think you've been developing um, products out of the, the fleece. You've been working with that? Yeah, as time's progressed. I mean, I didn't spin until I had the alpacas. So right. the alpacas came first, then I had a spinning wheel. Right. Um, and obviously as my numbers increased, there was no way I could spin 
35 <laughs> fleeces. No. Um, so, you know, how I used that fleece, you know, and um, changed, thought has, about, yeah. you know, marketing had to change. Um, and whilst I, I think it's good to learn the skills, um, and I still enjoy spinning, mm. but I obviously I can't spin enough to get all that wool out and work full time at the same time. No. Um, so yes, I do send my fleece off to be processed, so it comes back as lovely balls of wool. And then I was thinking, well, what do I do with all of this? And yes, you can go to shows, and yes, you can put it on the internet, on your websites, and, and that to market your products. Um, but often customers want to know, well, what can I make out of it? What can right. I do out of two balls of wool or three balls of wool, etc.? And yes, that's developed into crochet kits and patterns and, Excellent. you know, items where people can think, oh, I can make that and I can do something with that. And then they'll obviously purchase your will and purchase the kit as a present, as gifts yeah. for their family, especially over the Christmas times. Um, when they know somebody has got a hobby, they enjoy doing something like that. Um, and they look for something a little bit different that they can't buy on the high street. Um, and that's, I think, when they come to us, where we are small right. independent retailers, I mm. guess, who have got a, a one-off product. Mm. You know, once that lot is gone, I can't replicate it. No. You know, um, yeah. and, you know, this year I'm dyeing the wool and creating different right. colours. You know, and I, I... But you didn't have to do it all at once. No. And that thing's developed over, over time, which is... Yes, and you live and learn and you think, yeah. oh, what will... I've been very, I think I've been very lucky. Mm. Going to the shows have been very successful. You've got to put a lot of hard work in to think about what your customers would want. Lots of people like fluffy alpacas, but not lots of people can't knit. So how do you make, so I make some products for the people that can't knit, that can't crochet, um, that can't weave. It's a pleasant hobby for me to be able to to do that because if you're a knitter or a crochet, you get to the point where you can't knit or crochet enough stuff for yourself. So right. what can you do with it? <laughs> yeah. um, and that's a practical application to, to keeping the animals. But it's an ongoing application as well, because obviously yeah. this year's fleece is coming and I'll have 60 kilos or whatever I'll have of fleece to think about what am I going to do mm. um, and how do I keep this going? Yeah. So it is a, whilst it's a pleasant headache shearing, it's what you do and how you sort the wool and, and then how do you develop it. Yeah. It does take a bit of thought. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the question of scale, because if you're starting with a smaller number of animals oh, yes. and it's just a I think then then it, there's a lot more stuff that you can do yourself but as it scales then yes. you need to think about where that goes in terms of getting other people to do some of the the, the, the processing bits yeah. um, and there are there are a lot more seem to be a lot more mills out there that, that, that can do that kind of thing yes obviously you, you're investing then in, in getting that that done but you are there's still the the, the, the alternatives and the different directions you can go. It depends on what people are interested. In. Yeah, and, and I would say, err on the side, you know, you might read in the Alpaca magazine about this particular mill. Mm. Um, you don't know until you try it and you get your product yeah. back whether or not it's as good as you want it to be. Sure. Um, so the one thing I would talk about is rather than going into the Baz site, just talk to other Alpaca breeders around. If, if you are thinking of sending off your fleets to be processed, is to talk to other alpaca owners around what mills do you use, mm. what was the product like when you had it back, what was the service that you had, sure. um, and, and to gain their feedback direct from those breeders to be really sure that when you're sending off your beloved fleece that yeah. you're going to get back something that you really want, because yeah. there are varying degrees of quality when you get your, your product back. Yeah, and I, I guess it depends what, what you're then going to do with the, with the, the yarn yeah. that's produced. Absolutely. Um, I think so that some of it's going to be more appropriate for, for one use rather than, than another. Yeah. Um, and asking people is a really good thing. Yeah. So you find there's a, a good network of, of breeders and people to ask advice? I think so. I mean, yeah. I've gone back to Alan a few times around breeding advice and chatting around, you know, 
oh, my one female didn't catch this year and, you know, why could that be? And, you know, what was the spit off like? And I think it's really useful to be having a network of people that you can go back and ask sure. questions. You can't read it all off the internet. No, nope. um, so <laughs> can't you, you trust know, it all either. No, it? absolutely <laughs> but, not. But, and yeah. and from a, you know, from a, a vet's point of view, you know, we don't have an expert in every veterinary practice that is no. an expert on camelids or on alpacas. So it is really important to talk to other breeders so that you get the best help that you yeah. need and the best advice. Um, you might buy vitamin D for one supplier this year. You go back to buy it the next year and it's out of stock. You think, how can it be out of stock? <laughs> but if yeah. you don't have that network, whether it's on Facebook or whether it's by chatting to other breeders that you know in your locality, how will you source that? So I think it's important to have that connection because when you get stuck and you will get stuck and you've got a question and something looks unusual, it's important you can ask somebody. The animals that you've you've got, the, the, you're selling some of them yes. um, to, to people. So you're getting new people going into alpacas. And I guess a lot of those will be going into more on the pet side of, of things or the, the companion animals in, in a field. Um, do you do training with them? I've sold a number of pet boys. Right. And what we do is I go and obviously deliver to the farm and then I go back and I offer them the help then that they need, whether or not it's a demonstration of toe clipping, how to lift sure. the leg up and trim the toes, um, whether it's going back and giving the vitamin D for the first couple of months. They've got the option of my shearing service. So when I book my shearer to come and, and shear mine, I'll go and fetch their animals to bring them to me right. um, yeah. so that they can get sheared at the same time. And that's at the point then where we'll give them the their annual booster injections, right, yeah. clip their toenails again. So I guess that's the bit where you can give ongoing advice so that if you're going back to check on some of the husbandry tasks, if you can see the animal isn't in good condition, they have been. But, you know, if their yeah. animals weren't in good condition, you would be able to give them advice and help support them on that. Yeah. And, of course, you know, your line is always open. Yeah. You know, so every animal that I sell has got a fact sheet with all the medicines, recommendations of, of some good vets that, that I use, um, as well as things like where to buy alpaca food and head collars, where to go for advice. Yeah. So I think if you can help with that handover report, not just sure. what vaccinations they've had in the last 12 months, but where to start looking for reliable material mm. is a good place to start. Yeah. And so there's a need for enough to get started. I've had a recent, um, a couple, I sold a couple to um, just the beginning of the year. I'm building a shed. Does this look all right? Mm. You know, will they be happy in here? What do I put on the floor? You know, these are all good questions to ask. And it gives me confidence yeah. that when I'm selling my animal to somebody, that they're going to have a good home. And I always say, I won't sell you an animal if I don't like you. And I don't think you'll look <laughs> after it because I haven't yeah. got to sell them. No, it's, that's right. It's um, important. And I won't, you know. So I think, you know, I want the animals to go to somebody that's going to give them a good home. Yeah. Um, and that's going to love them and, and really enjoy them as much as I have. But they can't do it without their help and advice sometimes. Absolutely. And an appropriate setup and, and things. Yeah. That, and they need, they need sort of guidance for that. Without being overbearing. Absolutely. And, you know, yeah. It's, it's yeah. a fine line, isn't it? But it is. if you're on the end of the phone, yeah. it's, that's, the, that's the important bit. One of the things, I guess, to, to take away from all of that is that it, it's important to do your preparation, do the, do the research. Yes. It's important to do the planning and get things organized yes ready for the before the animals come, oh yes preferably. definitely um but also to recognize that you're going to learn as you go and there are yeah. always people to to ask questions oh, and yeah. to, to give the support and i think and, the and i guess you're buying they're buying you as the uh, as the the breeder as the, the the advisor as well as buying the animal and yeah so, and i so think being careful about who you you you're developing your relationship with this 
is important and going local is, is a strength in that. I think so. And if you can buy a local, if you've got a problem, something doesn't quite look right with this alpaca, I can call in tonight. Absolutely. Yeah. You haven't got that option if you're 50 miles away or yeah. you know a little bit further than that. So I, it shouldn't be a deterrent not to go further afield for your alpacas, but you need to have some support so that you can, when you have a question, you haven't got to pay for the vet to come out, you can have my free advice instead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, excellent. Yeah. That's wonderful. Well, thank you very much for sharing all of uh, your experience and, and knowledge there. In the show notes, there'll be some links to, to your website and, and Facebook page and things. So if people can make contact if, if they'd like to uh, and look out for your products. So thank you very much for being with us and hope to see you again. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Hannah as much as I did. A few things struck me from today's episode. Firstly, it's easy to make a start on your journey into alpacas but some paths will help you be more successful more easily. Secondly, it's always going to be a big learning curve, but there are resources and people to help you and skills that can be learned to get you established as an alpaca shepherd. Dig around, find out all you can and build yourself a strong foundation for the future. Remember, your alpacas are likely to be around for a long time to come. And if you are struggling to get the most out of the alpacas you already have, fear not, you can add to what you already know and become a confident and fulfilled owner. Check out the show notes on the website and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time with the Alpaca Tribe, I'm Steve Hetherington. Thanks for listening.